Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys. Welcome to Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, everybody, on this Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. I'm John Fanta, and today... We are honoring the life of one of the great coaches in college basketball history, a Mount Rushmore type of figure. He was a giant, larger than life. John Thompson passing away Sunday night, the Georgetown Hoyas legend at the age of 78. On today's show, we'll get different reflections on the life of John Thompson from folks that knew him in different capacities former Seton Hall head coach, P.J. Carlissimo, faced John Thompson for 12 years while he was with the Pirates, those Big East battles between the Hall and Georgetown. P.J. has tons of great memories, stories, those legendary Big East meetings with Carlissimo, Thompson, Roly Massimino, Luke Harnaseca, Jim Beheim. So many memories to share, and P.J. will come to us from the NBA bubble gracious enough to take some time. Kevin Kugler of Fox Sports and Westwood One, one of the great voices in sports broadcasting, he joined me as well to reflect on the broadcast partner that John Thompson was. And I don't think people know as much about John Thompson and what he gave to the game from the microphone. That'll be a really intriguing set of stories that I I think that you will enjoy. John Thompson was the definition of a legend. We sometimes toss that word around. He deserved it. He won a lot. 596 victories at Georgetown, 596 at one school. He led the Hoyas to six of the first 12 Big East tournament championships. And when you think about the personalities I just listed, Jim Beheim, Roly Massimino, Luke Carnesecca. The names go on and on and on. Jim Calhoun uh, later on. But he led Georgetown to six of the first 12 Big East tournament titles. They set a standard. Seven NCAA tournament Elite Eight appearances. Three national championship game appearances. And the 1984 national championship, he and Patrick Ewing. What a story it was. John Thompson, the first African-American coach to lead a college basketball team to a national 
title. And he said immediately after the game that he didn't take as much pride in that because it would suggest that a black coach wasn't intelligent enough to lead a team to a national championship. He said there were plenty before him. And that's just the type of man he was. Beyond basketball, he defined that word legend in speaking up for what was right at a time where it was not as accepted at all. Should have been, but was not. He stood up for what was right. He would take his team off the floor if he felt something was wrong. He put issues in life before basketball. His four-year players, all but two of them, graduated with a degree. All but two. This was a man who was larger than life in the way that he lived, and he was an imposing figure, intimidating. He used that to his advantage on the court. Having said that, John Thompson defined loyalty in every sense of that word. If you were on his team, if you were his friend, there was nothing that he wouldn't do for you. And we're going to hear that from our guests today. A story. I interviewed John Thompson for the first time last fall for a 40th anniversary Big East special on Fox Sports. And I was in the office area of Georgetown Basketball's facility, of course, named the Thompson Center. If you've never been, take a stop at Georgetown's campus when we're under normal times and walk into the Thompson Center because the first thing that you will see is a giant statue of John Thompson greeting you. That statue will always stand there. I'm waiting in the office area, waiting for John Thompson to, to come in. He comes in and comes into the room. And I said, Coach Thompson, good morning, enthusiastically. And he looked at me and he said, sit down, MFR, in his big bellowing voice. I was shaking. I was only 24 years old to meet a legend and have the first thing that he says to me is cussing me out, I was taken aback. He sits down and he says, who are you with? I said, uh, I'm with Fox Sports and the Big East Digital Network. I'm with the Big East. He looks at me and he says, I am the Big East. He was the Big East. He is the Big East. He was right. He was never afraid to speak his mind. I remember sitting down and I was thinking in my head, oh my gosh, did I make him mad? Then we started talking and I determined that, that him cussing me out and him saying I am the Big East, that just meant he was comfortable. And that made me feel really good inside because when you are talking to one of the great coaches, someone that we all idolized, because of how incredible of a coach and incredible of a, of a human John Thompson was, it was really cool to have that interaction with him and, and sit down with him for over a half hour sharing stories. I would go through a game with him 
for the losses, he would not talk about this. For every game he won, when he closed down Manly Fieldhouse at Syracuse, when he won that Big East tournament title game that we were reviewing, he would look at me and say, who won that game? Who won that game? John Thompson was a winner. He taught his men how to win on the court and in life. And what he did with the likes of Allen Iverson, Dikembe Mutombo, Patrick Ewing, you see the power of the man through not only the talents that they became, but through the words that they say about John Thompson. Patrick Ewing's father was very involved in the course of his college career. That doesn't mean that Patrick Ewing, and he said it all throughout this week, John Thompson was a second father figure to him. And he says, that's nothing on my father. It's just who John was to me. John Thompson is everything that is right about our sport, basketball. Because he not only defines success in the sport, he showed the power that the sport can have in society. The same power that we saw last week in Orlando when the Milwaukee Bucks started a movement in boycotting those postseason games. That's why NBA players this week are talking about the fact that John Thompson gave them a first voice. John Thompson, that bellowing voice, will live on in basketball, in social justice, and beyond forever. Who better to talk about the legendary John Thompson than someone who faced him and has a lot of respect for him, a two-time Big East Coach of the Year in 1988 and 89. He led the Seton Hall Pirates to the 1989 National Championship game, and he was the head coach of the Hall from 1982 to 94. Those great Big East games between the Pirates and the Georgetown Hoyas and many others in the league. It is P.J. Carlissimo joining us on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. And PJ, thank you so much for the time. With this news coming out, uh, John Thompson passing away at the age of 78, what were the thoughts that were going through your mind when you heard? Well, just uh, awful sad, selfishly. Uh, it, you know, with all that he accomplished from a basketball standpoint, and as much as I enjoy, it's probably the wrong word, but as much as I treasure the memories of uh, competing against John in basketball, um, it was really more the friendship, the I was very lucky knowing John as long as I did and met him actually when I was assistant at Fordham and he was uh, just coming over from St. Anthony's uh, to Georgetown. And people forget that's before the Big East. That was the program that John took over at Georgetown, where it was at then uh, and where it's been, been there ever since, particularly during the close to 30 years that John was there. It's remarkable. And Georgetown is not an easy place, as great an institution as it is. Uh, it's not one that, that you would think it's easy to compete at that level of college basketball that, that John did for so many years. And uh, it was a tough job. I mean, they played in the cap center. Uh, you know, they, they McDonough, a few years, first couple of years, John was there, they played at McDonough. But 
after that, uh, it was Cap Center. That was so far from their campus. It was, you know, uh, tough to get transport their students over there by bus. And yet he, he did it. He overcame all the obstacles that, that were there for him. And, and they competed at a level. And it, it didn't matter whether it was Patrick uh, or Alonzo or Dikembe or AI. And the players came and went. And they were obviously great ones. And that's the first thing John would tell you. But uh, Georgetown basketball was John Thompson. That's why it was uh, one of the best in the country. That's why, it, you know, they, they won a national championship. They got, to, I think, three final fours. And that's why they became known for, you knew every time you laced it up to play against Georgetown, you knew exactly what you were going to get. And that was a great measuring stick. You'd always look forward to that first game against Georgetown because you thought you had a good team. You knew you would find out that day whether your guys were willing to compete on that level, Big East level, and John's intensity level was probably even high for the Big East. But um, your young guys, the first time they got to play against Georgetown, uh, you'd find out exactly uh, how good they were or what, what were the things they still needed to work on. But um, it, it wasn't that. The friendships were fantastic. But I, I just remember the, the Big East meetings, the spring meetings, uh, the night before media day when we'd all gather in New York at the uh, Hyatt, Grand Central in, in, in those times. And the day before the tournament, we'd start at Madison Square Garden. We'd have the Big East luncheon every year, um, give out the awards, and the various teams were there. And uh, I got a chance to spend a ton of time with John, throw, both with Nike, uh, with NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. We were both on the board. John was the president for a year. Um, USA Basketball. Uh, when John was an Olympic coach, he allowed me to be one of the floor coaches, go, you know, when you come, when they tried out and worked out at, at Colorado Springs before uh, they went to Korea. And just so many uh, experiences with John, so many things that John would fight for, and he'd get you involved in the, the various battles, whether it was NCAA legislation or something he didn't like in the city, Washington, or something that was going on in the country, or more jobs for black coaches, young black coaches that he would mentor. And uh, if John had a cause, he was so passionate about it and he would involve you in it. And uh, there's nothing you could ask John Thompson to do that he wouldn't do, truly. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think we've, we both felt that way uh, about each other. And I, I just think I, so much more of the, guy, the man than the basketball coach. And I'm, I'm obviously not slighting what he did from a basketball standpoint, but he, he was, you know, it's a cliche, larger than life. John was larger than life. Uh, John did more for, it's funny, I, I was doing an interview earlier today and talked about, I'm going to say the name wrong, the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers coach, Mike Tomlin, is that the right name? Yep. Mike Tomlin talked about how growing up and when he first got into coaching, how John was an idol of his. And, and he knew that John, the fact that John could be successful and accomplish what he accomplished gave gave Mike hope and gave him confidence you know that, that he could do the same things and uh, John was really good about opening doors um, because he was so intelligent because he was so persuasive because he would fight sometimes he didn't open them sometimes he knocked them down but wh whatever it took um, for the cause that John was involved in or the people he was advocating for uh, you were going to get it 100 percent and then some. I was asking people on Twitter for their John Thompson favorite memories. And Peter, a Seton Hall fan, said, what comes to mind for him is John Thompson walking over to shake Terry DeHare's hand after he became the all-time Big East leading scorer. 
1993 Brendan Byrne Arena, Thompson had the game stopped and showed respect. What comes to mind? That was John Thompson. Um, a, a lot of the guys, and particularly, as you well know, John, it took us a while to be competitive. It took us five full years before we were really even close to being competitive in the Big East Conference. And when guys are beating up on you and drilling you, it's easy to say nice things about you. Hey, he's a nice guy. He's working hard. They're, they're going to get there. They'll be good. But when you start beating them, uh, it's not the same. And the two guys who I always knew when we won – and we were lucky enough to beat them. It was There was never going to be an excuse. It was never going to be officials. It was never going to be he had a player out or they were looking ahead to Big Monday in a Syracuse game on Sunday afternoon on CBS. It was we got beat. His team outplayed my team. They did a better job. Uh, that was John. That was the way John was, win or lose. And, and everybody, even in you know, even the good people in the Big East Conference, that was he and Louis Carnesecca. Uh, everybody wasn't like that. At six foot ten, you, you talked about him larger than life physically. <laughs> uh, that that was the case, literally, figuratively. However, you looked at it with that towel over the shoulder. Exactly. How did he use that physically imposing presence to his advantage? Well, he was very demanding, and uh, again, what he. If you hear his players talk about what it was like going to Georgetown and the experience, um, I, I often wish my guys are just in high school now. I, I wish I had guys old enough to go play for John because you knew if you went there, A, you were going to graduate from Georgetown University, which was no small feat in itself, but B, you were just going to come out of there so much a better person than you went in. And when you hear his players talk about the experience, and, and it was funny because a lot of people saw, you know, on TV, John barking at the officials and barking at his guys. And my guys at times thought I was tough on them, but I always knew after we played Georgetown and they would catch some of the thing he'd call, he'd just go like this with his finger and Patrick or whoever it was would go running over there and John had give him an earful. And they were like, Whoa, like for a week or so I was okay. I could say whatever I wanted. And they, they thought there were other guys as crazy as me in the league. And uh, John's guys were so disciplined they, they, they had to check in with Mary Fenlon, who was their academic advisor, every night. And they had a report on whether they had done their work, papers, studied for a test, whatever it was, what time their first class was the next day. Um, they, they behaved. If they didn't, didn't matter who it was, from Patrick to uh, the last walk-on on the team, uh, they'd get yanked out of a game. Or if they said something to an official or they, they didn't do something they were supposed to do. John was the same way with them on campus. They did not miss class. They didn't cut corners. Um, they represented that institution and their families very, very well because John insisted on that. One thing that can get overshadowed about his Georgetown greatness is that pre-Big East days, when he played, he played at Providence College, and he played for Dave Gavitt. Can you speak to that relationship? Well, so many people – I actually saw him play. I used to kid John all the time about it, but uh, – my father was the athletic director at the University of Scranton, and Scranton played Providence every year. It was kind of, we, I get, we call them guarantee games now, but it was a favor. But I saw John play in the CYC, the Catholic Youth Center, uh, in Scranton when he was in college playing at, at PC. And people forget he won at least one, I think, multiple championships for the Celtics. You're talking an All-American, a heck of a player himself. 
and then he go, you know, he goes on and, and wins a couple of championships. Uh, a little tough beating out the guy he was playing behind, Bill Russell. <laughs> but I mean, he, you know, John was an excellent player and did a great job high school coaching also when he was at St. Anthony's uh, before he even got to Georgetown. So there's so many sides of, of the man. Um, you know, a great father. I, I love spending time with JT3. Last time I was in D.C., I was broadcasting a game for ESPN, a USA basketball game. They were playing Puerto Rico, and it was at the uh, Wizards practice facility, the game. And JT3 was there. John wasn't feeling good, so he couldn't be there. But I, I used to love to see JT3, and we would always – I'd always go to him, J, uh John, give your father a message. I said, you know what the message is. And he said, I don't like to talk like that to my father, but I, I, I'll give him the message. And uh, we, we, had a, we had a different vocabulary when we spoke to each other, but he was a, a, just a, a great friend. That um, th There's nothing I can imagine ever asking John Thompson to do um, to help out that he wouldn't do it. And, and I'm pretty confident he felt the same way. You keep talking about those Big East coaches meetings. You. John Thompson, Lou Carnesecca, Roly Massimino. It's actually three years and a day since we lost the legendary Roly Massimino. Yeah. Lou Carnesecca, Jim Beheim. What were those meetings like? Well, first of all, they were a lot of fun. But those four guys, you, you, five people are responsible for the biggies, putting the players aside. And obviously the players are what it was all about. But the, the non-players, the, the five most important people were Dave Gavitt, John Thompson, Lou Carnesecca, Roly Massimino, and Jim Beheim, because they were the ones that built the conference to what it was, and they were the ones that maintained that level of excellence for so long. Uh, and they, they, I remember my first Big East meeting, the, the meeting's in the spring. My first Big East meeting, it was Gary Williams' first year also uh, at BC. And Dave always wanted, if there were gripes or there was dirty laundry to be aired out, Dave wanted it at that meeting. He didn't want it in newspapers. He didn't want coaches to be feuding. You'd get there and you'd talk about something that happened during recruiting or whatever it was. That's where it was aired out. And it was, they were very candid. Um, they were, they were sometimes very, very emotional, uh, but it was great. And Dave convinced everybody like, despite these incredible rivalries that were there in the league that, and, and a lot of leagues are still different. There's a lot of leagues when a team gets beat in the NCAA tournament and their big rival's still alive, they root for them to lose. They don't want them to. They've convinced all of us. I'm not saying everybody loved everybody else 365, you know, 24-7. But Dave made us understand that if we got knocked out, we wanted Georgetown or Syracuse or whoever it was to continue to win, to get to a Final Four, to win a national championship because it was good for our conference. And – John, I can just see so many of those meetings. We'd have fights over, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Ball deals and whether we're going to change the rules. And we talk about the officials and grade the officials. And John would sit there and have a big cigar and he'd have that smile on his face. And it, it was it was great. He it, There was, you know, there was just another side to John that he didn't open, you know, I think to the general public. The, the People saw him screaming and yelling and being tough and fighting for the things he was always fighting for, and they didn't realize he was really a big teddy bear. But it was, uh, you know, that that side of him, his players knew uh, probably after they graduated, probably not when they were there, but they knew uh, they could always call. They'd pick up the phone. It could be 10 years later or 15 years later, and it didn't matter whether it was Patrick or it was, you know, some walk-on or somebody that hardly ever played for Georgetown, uh, that John would look out for him because that's the kind of person he was. 
a true legend in every sense of that word. PJ Carlos Simone, thanks so much for the time. Well, John, great being with you. Thank you, and, and really enjoyed talking about uh, the great John Thompson. Just a great reflection from PJ Carlissimo with those stories on John Thompson's life and just the friendship that he had with John. And I think it's amazing what PJ said about how John Thompson, if there was a door to open up, sometimes it took more than knocking on that door. Sometimes he'd just bang it right down. He did whatever it took to stand up for what was right. And he would do whatever it took for a friend, for a, one of his players, one of his coaching comrades, family, of course. That's who John Thompson was, relentless in his approach and the definition of a friend. A partner of his, not on the court, but court side via the microphone. Kevin Kugler, called over a decade's worth of Final Fours with John Thompson. And we caught up with Kevin earlier this week. Many knew John Thompson as the coaching figure. Kevin Kugler knew him as his broadcast partner. And Kevin, one of the top voices in the industry, he will be on Fox Sports uh, as part of their NFL package this fall. But he's also known for all that he does with Westwood One. And he and John Thompson call a lot of great college basketball moments together to reflect on the life of a giant. I welcome in Kevin on Full Core Press. And Kevin, how will you remember your broadcast partner, John Thompson? Oh, there's there's so many things, John. And I, and I really appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about him because uh, he's somebody that has shaped the last decade plus of my life. And I, and I got to imagine he's done that with a lot of players that he coached. But this is a man who... I started really working with when I took over the Final Four role in 2008 with Westwood One. He was my partner for every Final Four up until, unfortunately, this last one that was canceled. Yet another thing that we've all lost from COVID, we lose the March Madness opportunity, we lose a Final Four opportunity, and as it turns out, uh, you know, selfishly, I lose a chance to work one more Final Four with Coach Thompson, which is, is something I will be very sad about for a long time. Um, but for, for me, Coach Thompson was sort of the, the seal of approval I had to be a college basketball announcer at a high level. I had done games nationally for the last couple of years prior to my start on the Final Four in 2008, but they were never quite as prominent as that, obviously. That's the, that's the mountaintop when it comes to calling basketball games. And to have Coach Thompson not only – be fine with me working with him, but actually enjoy working with me was to me the ultimate compliment. And, you know, and it didn't happen right away to where I felt like, oh my gosh, she's just completely embraced me. And I would imagine that most of his players would have said the same thing. I, I, I'm sure there weren't too many freshmen that walked onto the campus of Georgetown that immediately felt like they were in the inner circle with Coach Thompson. Well, I, I, was, I was no different than that. I, it was probably my junior year, my third year doing the Final Four, that I really started to feel like I had won him over to a certain degree. Not that he was ever rude or unprofessional, because he certainly was not that. We had, we had some terrific broadcasts early, but it always felt like the third or fourth year, he really embraced the fact that I was that I knew what I was doing and that I wasn't just some 
goofy kid from Nebraska that they plopped into this role. Um, I was somebody who had a reason to be there. And once I felt like I had that approval, it was, I mean, you talk about a weight off my shoulders. What a, what a thrill to have a hall of famer kind of give you the tacit nod that, yeah, you're doing the job correctly. You're doing it right. And I enjoy working with you. What was your first encounter with him? Like, um, it was very, um, very professional, but it was, and I'm trying to remember exactly how to, how this would have gone, but it was one of those moments where I was probably more worried about how I was going to perform than everything else around me. Uh, you know, doing a final four for the first time in 2008 was also my first time at a final four. So I'd never been until I went in 08 in San Antonio to call my first. And so I was really just trying not to step on anybody, trying not to stumble trying not to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. You know how it is when you're doing your first thing, your big thing. You're like, I just don't want to screw this up because I'd like to get invited back. And so it was a very professional environment, but it was one of those where I was just trying to make sure I didn't say or do anything wrong. And it was very, you know, there was not a lot of warmth. There was not a lot of joking around. One of the things I learned about Coach Thompson as I worked with him for years is the sense of humor that he had. And, you know, I never thought that watching him as a coach growing up. If you'd have told me that John Thompson would get a twinkle in his eye and say things that would make people fall on the floor laughing, like I saw as late as 2019 with Coach, I'd have, you could have knocked me over with a feather like that. Because I was always like, this guy is going to walk across the court, grab Jim Beheim by the neck, slam him to the floor, knock three officials out of the way, and walk off the floor. That's always how I envisioned watching Coach Thompson coach in Big East basketball. It was, and, and he said many times that size that he had, he used it to his advantage. He was going to intimidate officials. Well, he intimidated me. And, and it took a while for me to understand that, and this is the big secret for John Thompson, Underneath that veneer was the heart of a teddy bear. And he could not have been nicer, more welcoming. And I, I saw Coach Thompson say things at times that just made people, including Tom Izzo last year at the regional in Washington, D.C., nearly fall out of his chair. I mean, he, it was he, – he was – it's one of the most unique individuals I've ever been – blessed to work with and I will never forget coach Thompson as long as I do this it's going to be one of the absolute it's going to be one of the absolute jewels in the crown of my broadcasting career that I had the chance to work for as many years as I did with John Thompson. Alan Iverson tweeted out uh, on Monday that when they would talk that John would greet him with the standard greeting that he greeted people with what's up MFR and then they would talk about things that had nothing to do with basketball, that that's just who John was. And to, to a lot of people, Kevin, it comes off that it would come off if you didn't hear him after that those words, like he was this imposing. But he both used that imposing figure not only to his advantage, but I, I think you can reflect on this, which probably made him a, a great broadcast partner, was he was in control of everything he said and did. There was never an instance where I felt like John Thompson 
said something he didn't want to say. Um, and that's not something any of us can usually say as broadcasters. We'll, we always say something we don't necessarily want to say. And I'll, okay, we all say, we all screw up. We turn a phrase wrong. We say something, you know, that's a little bit untoward at times. But, and, and I'm so glad you brought up that Allen Iverson tweet because it almost made me cry when I read that yesterday. Because that was how I knew, John, that I was in with Coach Thompson. Because that's how he called, that's what he addressed me as. When I would, first time I'd see him, MFR. And it didn't happen the first three or four years, but he learned who I was and he learned the kind of person I was and the kind of broadcaster I was. And so that became, I became familiar. And when I read that tweet from Alan Iverson and I saw that that was how he referred to Alan, one of the player, one of the most challenging players he ever coached and one of the players that absolutely Alan Iverson would have given anything for John Thompson. I mean, he loves that man. I, I've had conversations with Alan about this. He adored John Thompson for so many reasons. But to hear that greeting for Alan Iverson and know it was the same one that I got from Coach Thompson was, I mean, I, I don't really know how to put it into words, and that's kind of my job to put things into words. But it was just such a, a moment of recognition that – you know, it's not like John Thompson ever said to me, hey, Kevin, you know, I accept you. You you belong in this chair. But by doing those things, he let you know. He you That's how you knew that you were a part of the family, so to speak, a part of the group that you were that you were in the circle, so to speak. And I don't sit here and say, oh, my gosh, John Thompson and I were best friends. And we're calling all the time. That That's not that's not that. But I do feel like because I got that greeting of all things, that that was his way of saying, you're good with me. So do your job because you, the way you keep doing it and you're going to be good with me for a long time. And I, I, when I saw Alan's tweet, that was, that was, that was something special. What did he add to a game broadcast? He added the knowledge and experience of the game. And what I mean by that is there wasn't anything in college basketball that John Thompson hadn't seen, whether as a player, whether as a coach, whether as a broadcaster. He had seen every single thing. And there were little subtleties that he could pick up that nobody ever really noticed. And he had a very distinct way of saying them. And it, there, there was an old group of commercials, John, and you're too young for this, darn young people. Uh, but it was a brokerage firm, and it was an e, it was when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And it was this moment where, because this brokerage firm was always so right, but they didn't say much, the minute they spoke, you had to listen. He was like that because he would say things in his deliberate way, and you had to listen to them. Because there was going to be some kernel of knowledge that you hadn't thought of that was going to come out of that. And you got to remember, most of the time in the Final Four, we were in a three-man booth, whether it was Bill Raftery and I or Clark Kellogg and I, along with Coach Thompson. And so economy of words on radio, especially in a three-man booth, is very important. So when he spoke, it was usually something that was going to be increasingly relevant to what was going on in that game. 
And that was what he brought because his experience, his knowledge, and his passion for the game of basketball brought he, – he was able to succinctly his all of that into his sentences that carried a lot of weight when he would say them. Kevin, would he go out after a game or in between days with the rest of the crew at all? No. No, John Thompson was not a let's meet at the restaurant. I, I worked with the two opposite ends of the spectrum on the Final Four for a lot of years. <laughs> Bill Raftery always went out after the game. John Thompson never went out after the game. And so I never had to worry that I was not going to have somebody to hang out with after the game. That was never a concern. It was always I knew who it was going to be. I didn't have to worry about anything else other than, well, I know it's going to be Raph if we go out and get something to eat or something to drink after the game. But I know it's not going to be Coach Thompson. Coach Thompson got done with the game. The broadcast was over. We did what we needed to do. Off he went. And I would see him when we had a meeting or for the next game. And that was it. We were not – there was no dinners. There were no – I mean, I assume he ate, but he didn't eat with anybody else. He was a, I'm here for basketball. This is my job. And he approached it, I'm sure, the same way he did as a coach. Basketball first. What was the car wash like before Final Four games when he was in the chair and you were just watching warm-ups waiting to get on the air? You've, you've seen this too, John, because you've been there at the Big East Tournament, and it's the very same thing. It's as I assume it would be if a pope just sort of dropped into St. Mark's somewhere in some town and everybody just decided, oh, my gosh, I, I've got to line up and see him. It was the same thing. In fact, it was to the point where there were times Coach Thompson would put his headset on because he just wanted some time to kind of get ready for the game and reflect and be ready without having the constant stream of people come up and talk with him. An old broadcaster's trick, put on the headset, and then you go, sorry, I've got headsets on. I got the headset on. I, I can't talk. But the headset didn't come on very often when he was doing uh, Big East games because that's his wheelhouse. The Big East Conference, that's his baby. And he didn't want to miss Ed Cooley coming up and talking to him. And I, I know Coach Cooley, and you know, I know you know Coach too, one of my favorite coaches in all of college basketball, one of the funniest men in college basketball. And I, I know Ed Cooley loved John Thompson. And I got to be there courtside. And it was when they would chat, and it wasn't anything groundbreaking, but they loved to talk hoop. And it was a steady stream of those players. And very rarely would Coach put that headset on at the Big East because those kids at the Big East tournament – those are his kids. Those are his people. That is his conference. And you saw it sometimes at the Final Four, which can just be an overwhelming crush of people. Not the case at the Big East. And he, it, it, but it was constant. It was absolutely an always constant. Everybody wanted to come up and pay their respects. He is obviously on this, but this is the, the big picture topic. Four coaches on a Big East Mount Rushmore. Who is Kevin Kugler going with? Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, obviously, John Thompson is on that list. There's there's no question about that. I'd put Coach Carneseca on that list. I mean, I, I just think – when I think Big East basketball, I think of what he was able to do at St. John's. You pro, I mean, 
Coach Beheim, he's got to be on the list, right? He's got to be on Mount Rushmore. And then, boy, that fourth slot, do you go Coach Calhoun? Do you go – I mean, where do you go with that fourth spot? I probably go – you know, because I, I – I pro- it's, it's too early in the reformed Big East to have any of the new guys on there. So, you know, when Coach Mack watches this, don't, don't text me, Coach Mack. You're not on the list yet, but it's too early. <laughs> it's just too early. You can't put – you can't put the new guys on. So I probably go old school and I probably say Coach Calhoun. Is there a signature John Thompson call that popped in your head yesterday? There's a bunch. In fact, I had a couple of people text me. Um, it was my very first Final Four. And <laughs> and it was uh, Kansas and Memphis going down to the Chalmers shot. And, and I – this will – and it's funny because my I was doing sports talk at the time. You know Michael Severe, who does a show with Damon Benning in Omaha. And Michael was my partner at that time. We get done with this. He goes, you know, forever, that's how this call is going to be. And so we get down to the Chalmers call, and I'm doing the countdown. You know, we're counting it down. Chalmers, they're down three. Here comes Kansas. Chalmers up the court, seven seconds, six seconds. And all of a sudden, in my head, the game is about to either end or go to overtime. All of a sudden, the voice from John Thompson, two seats over my very first Final Four. You think they should foul here, Billy? <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm just plowing through, calling this shot because Chalmers didn't stop to go, you know what, let me think about that. Should they foul? He's still playing. Everybody's still playing. Raft goes, I do. And then I'm, you can hear me in the back and go, Chalmers for three. Got it. Onions. Oh, I mean, every, every, there's onions. There's, there's threes. There's all this stuff going on. But I will always think – when I think Coach Thompson, I think of my first Final Four. I was so nervous. I had – you know, I, I ran into freaking Bill Russell in the hallway. I mean, it was just this ridiculous day. I'm calling the national championship game. I'm, I wanted to make all my I's dotted and all my T's crossed. Four seconds to go. It's coming down to a game-tying shot. And Coach Thompson asks at that moment, do you think they should foul here, Billy? It was a great point. But at the time, it was like, we're, it, we're probably past that milestone on the road. But that's the call that I will think of always. And then the second, I know you didn't ask for two, but you're getting to. The second came last year. Virginia hits the shot, the foul in the corner that allows the game to go on. And all he says, and it's, he's, you, it's even better when you know how the, how the look was on his face. Because he was just aghast, as if someone had just come up and clubbed him on both knees. I mean, it just was – his mouth was open, and all he could say was, oh, my God. <laughs> and it was, it was the perfect – there's nothing to it, but it was the perfect call because it summed up what every single person was <laughs> thinking in that moment was – how in the world did this just happen? And that was, and I, those are the calls bookending my time with Coach Thompson that I will always think of when I think of him on the air because one of them was a strategy. One of them was an absolute call of dismay. And that, that was, I, I, I still chuckle about that when I think about both of those. Kevin Kugler sharing some incredible stories, moments, reflections on the one and only John Thompson. Follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin 
K-U-G-L-E-R, and find him on Fox Sports this fall. Call him the National Football League. Kevin, congratulations on that. Thanks for spending some time. John, always good to see you and talk with you. Thanks so much for having me on. On top of P.J. Carlissimo and Kevin Kugler, we thank them both for coming on the show. I asked you on Twitter, at John underscore Fanta. By the way, follow us at Pure Hoops Media. We've got some great video content that's been coming out during the NBA playoffs, and certainly uh, we'll have some content more on the life of John Thompson. What's your favorite John Thompson memory, I asked on Twitter. Sonny talks about the national championships in the 80s, how much he loved John's imposing figure on the sidelines. You wanted to be like him with the towel over his shoulder. At OLV77 says, the sweater act in MSG versus St. John's broke the tension. It was a one versus two showdown between St. John's and Georgetown. And what does John Thompson do? He comes out in Luke Karnaseka's sweater. That is a moment in Madison Square Garden history that lives on in Garden Lord. You see it all over the place when you're walking through the garden, the sweater game. It, it was an incredible moment. Bruce Bernstein, part of our Pure Hoops team, says, Big John never seemed too concerned about what others thought of him, and, and ain't that the truth. He followed his own moral compass and developed Hall of Famers and legends like Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, Allen Iverson. He may be gone, but he will never be forgotten. Live Free says, I met him at the Final Four in 1989. He stayed at the Seton Hall Hotel. It was late at night, but he couldn't have been more gracious with his time. I recall shaking his hand, and it was the size of a catcher's mitt. That's a great, great story and a great way to put it. Eric says, Eric Linus, Iverson's last home game in 1996, fans were chanting two more years for AI, and John Thompson berated them. Eric says, John always protected his players no matter what. We've got a bunch of sweater games. Here's one, GTA MD, at GTA MD. I was a doc in Georgetown University Hospital, ICU. Coach Thompson came over with a number of players to visit a dying elderly fan. I shed some tears today for a man I truly admired. I never met him in person, but that visit to the hospital set it off. David says, the battle of words with Patino at half court, Rick Patino, another guy that, that John Thompson wanted to beat the heck out of, but they were friends off the court and had much, much respect. Uh, Jason says his stand against Prop 48 uh, in the NCAA, uh, honored to be in the arena. January 14th, 1989, he left his trademark towel in a stand against Prop 48, left an impression on me then that we must take a stand for equity always. That was going back to the, the rule of freshmen uh, and, and their requirements to play academically. And John Thompson, he stood against that, and then he stood for equality. Always stood for equality. MTWPC says, sitting with my friend Rick in 1963 against the rolled-up stands in Alumni Hall, Alumni Hall in Providence, Rhode Island. And just prior to a Providence College practice, John played at, at PC, went to PC, we saw an unknown basketball player dribbling behind his back and through his legs amidst 75 or more students playing basketball. We saw him, and uh, sitting against the stands was John Thompson. Rick asked John, who is the guy dribbling? Thompson slowly turned his head and said one word, Walker. 
Paul says, Manly Fieldhouse is officially closed. That's his favorite. Alan says, I met him in Newark Airport after his team had lost the Big East Tournament. He could not have been more gracious. He sat and talked to me. Class act. Even after he lost, I've heard this story so many times from people. In winning, he would up that intimidation factor because he knew his team in the Big East Tournament would play the next day, or he knew his team was going to play. If they won on a Wednesday, they were going to play on Saturday during the regular season. In losing, he showed nothing but respect to the winner. That's the kind of guy he was. And I think you find out a lot about someone when they do come up shorthanded and they still, they still show a lot of respect. I think that's when you find out someone's true colors. And John Thompson always, what you saw was what you got. And what we saw is a giant whose legacy is something that we are always going to remember, not just in the 596 wins, the national championship game appearances, the national title in 84. We're going to remember it every time you see that G, Georgetown. You might think of Allen Iverson, Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, or Patrick Ewing. But when you're thinking about that, you are always going to remember the constant. The constant is John Thompson. He is Georgetown basketball. He's everything that's right about college basketball. And we remember a legend today and always. Another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is in the books. Thanks again to P.J. Carlissimo, the former Seton Hall coach, NBA assistant. Now he's with ESPN Radio doing great things from the NBA bubble. We also thank Kevin Kugler of Fox Sports. Find him on the NFL this fall. He does a great job with college sports as well, calls college basketball on Fox as well as Westwood One Sports. And he'll be doing some great things this fall. Thanks to him for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip edits the show. We always appreciate his contributions. And you can check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. That's Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. It drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Georgetown great Monica McNutt, I'm sure that she will have some reflections on the wonderful John Thompson. And King McClure, they drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and we'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court Press. Check out all of our shows. Subscribe, download them, rate and review them. Most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court Press with Santa and Adam. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.